Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. All right, take your Bible and open to Micah, Micah chapter 5. Micah's between Jonah and Nahum, if that helps. Old Testament. One more stop in Micah, and then we're going to go next week, I believe, we'll go to maybe the Kings. I forget exactly where we're going, but... Just remember, as we work our way through the Old Testament this year, we're in a uh, chronological order, and so that's why we're here in the what the minor prophets, we call the minor prophets. It's not because they're less important than Ezekiel or Isaiah or Jeremiah, it's because their prophecies are shorter than Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah, and Daniel, okay? So that's why they're called the minor prophets, because they're just a little bit shorter. Doesn't mean the sermon's going to be shorter, though. <laughs> Got you on that one. All right, if you would, stand with me as I read from the Word of God this morning. Micah chapter 5, we're going to read through verses 1 through 5. This is the Word of the Lord for you this morning. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for being gracious and merciful. You are mighty to save. You are just in your judgments. You are righteous in all your ways. Father, we find this morning that you alone are faithful, that in fact your word reminds us that your faithfulness endures forever. Lord, my prayer is this morning that our ears are open, that we would hear what you are saying through your word. Father, that you would soften our hearts, that you may shape us according to your will. Guide our steps and my words. Guide our path and our steps, that we would walk in that pathway that you have for us. For your name, your renown are the desires of our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. The last time we were together, we walked through Isaiah 53. Now you have an idea of the weight of the suffering that the servant went through on your behalf. And I would just ask for a moment that you... Think with me in your mind's eye if you can see him on the tree as he hung 
with the nails driven into his hands, into his feet as he's fastened on the cross. And as he's there, he's enduring that punishment for you. And as he gives up his last breath and he speaks those sweet words, it is finished, can you hear the soldier confessing, surely he was the son of God. While his mother and others that are gathered there weep bitterly as he gave up his life. Do you join with those who prepared his body for burial? And can you hear that stone being rolled in front of the opening of that grave after they've laid his body down? Can you feel the loneliness of the disciples and others that followed him on that Saturday when they didn't know what was before them? Can you see Peter and John running to the tomb after Mary had informed them that he was not there on that third day? Do you see the astonishment on their faces when he appeared to them in the room with a locked door later that evening and the subsequent days that followed as he would appear to them? Can you see Thomas as he sees him for the very first time and he sees the scars and he believed and he kneels down and confessing, my Lord. And my God. Do you understand today that He is at the Father's right hand? This one that the scriptures call the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, that He is the only one worthy to open the scrolls, that which lays before us. That He no longer rides the colt of a donkey into Jerusalem, but now He is on His great white horse. And there, on that great stallion, is our conquering shepherd king and there on his sash are the keys the keys of heaven the keys of death hell he alone controls them all do you hear the saints in heaven calling out to him wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Can you hear every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne? And to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Do you hear the nations calling out? As every single person is down on bended knee. Because God has given them the name that is above every name. That is the name of Jesus. That at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. This is the church's. Shepherd, king, in all his majesty and splendor. This is who our text speaks of today. The prophet Micah served during the reigns of the Judean kings, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. His contemporaries, we've already studied briefly in Hosea and Isaiah. And so we look at our text this morning and we see that there is a glorious hope for the hopeless If you go back into chapter 4 of Micah, there is is one truth that 
is evident from Micah's writing is that even though at times it seems like there's a very grim outlook for Israel. In fact, if you read the first three chapters of Micah, you will find that it does not look promising for them. They are about to go into exile. They are about to go into a time of judgment, a time of discipline by God, as he said would happen. But when you reach chapter 4, you begin to see it's not forever, that there is now hope for the hopeless. And friends, hope is always everywhere present in Scripture. Hope is an essential to the life of following Jesus and, and maintaining and enduring in faith that we keep that hope of what is out in front of us. There are all peoples all around us that live today without hope. Some are hopeless because of personal situations and the consequences of their actions. Others because they live a life that's a struggle from day to day and there seems to be no way out, whether it be they're ensnared by drugs or alcohol or some other issue. So many issues. Sometimes finances keep us down and keep us hopeless. The economy, so many things can pull our hearts away and many in the world are hopeless, more importantly because of their religious heritage, because of their situation, meaning they go through the ceremonies, they go through the rituals, and they go through the activity, but there's no source of forgiveness. There's no source of mercy and grace. There's no guarantee of eternal life and a future that God has laid out in Christ. Micah 1 through 3 is that. It's discouraging. It seems hopeless. Micah had spent his time informing the people of Israel and Judah that God was ready to come down from heaven and judge them because they had both rejected his promises. They had rejected his presence, his commands, and they had rejected his direction time and time again. And even with the warning, the people do not listen. They did not listen. They were content to stay in the status quo, unwilling to repent and turn back to that God would be their one and only Now, there are those who would worship God, but they were mixing other gods in. And then there were others who completely forgot God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, and only, only entertained the false idols. They were content to stay. They were unwilling to repent and turn back to him. Now, Micah speaks of a remnant. Is there a remnant? Yes, there was a remnant. But even the remnant would have to endure the exile because of the people around them. They were going to go into exile. That remnant would be men like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Esther, Mordecai, Daniel. But they're going into exile, and it would not be an easy road. But in chapter 4, in chapter 4, that prophecy takes a dramatic turn, and it's that word hope. It's a word of hope that Israel and Judah would be restored when the Messiah comes. And Micah provided that message of hope for the hopeless That's where we find our hope. In fact, we'll call it a living hope. We'll take that phrase from the Apostle Peter, who wrote that in his own letter. 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In Micah 4, verse 7, Micah says that God will reign over them Israel, and now I'm going to say that's the church. God will reign over his church forever and ever. The church is made up of all believers of past, present, and future. Those who have believed in Jesus Christ. He will reign over us forever. In verse 10, he says, even though you'll be exiled to Babylon, that's not the end of the story. You will be rescued. There is help coming. The nations will rise up against you, but they don't know God's plan. 
like you do. God is going to rescue you. And God's plan was this, that he would raise up for himself a king, a shepherd king, a king who would be born not in a place of power, in a royal city or in a royal palace, but rather in the unimpressive little town of Bethlehem. You see, in exile, humiliation comes before hope was realized. In Micah chapter 5, verse 1, we hear the call of the prophet on the Lord's behalf. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. They're coming after us. With a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. They're going to strike you, people. They're going to strike you, Israel. They're going to strike you, Judah, and it's going to hurt. That phrase, strike on the cheek, is a sign of humiliation. It's one who's being attacked that is defenseless. It's, they're defenseless. They, they can't protect themselves. It's not all that different than when Jesus was on trial. You'll remember how the scriptures describe it. When he's on trial, they slap him. He never struck back. They whipped him with a cat of nine tails. He submitted himself to that punishment, of course, on our behalf. But Israel and Judah are subjected to it because they refuse to repent and turn back to God. And then in verse 2, Micah says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. That little phrase in verse 2 at the very beginning, I want you to underline that, circle it, put a star next to it if you've got your Bible open, but you. That's not all that different than we read in... In Ephesians chapter 2, when, God, when Paul says, but God, this is one of those moments where God is intervening and God is turning the story around and he's bringing that hope. That little phrase, but you, it, it signifies a change in the way things were going. There's a change that is about to happen, or at least it's going to happen. It says, this is the moment. When this happens, this is the moment that God begins to intercede on your behalf where you will go from defeat to victory through his Messiah. That's a big change. It's not to be overlooked. It's a small phrase, but it's a big change. And it, it began in such a small and insignificant place called Bethlehem, the house of bread. That is a significant stop. Verse 2, you should highlight that. That is one of the key scriptures in the Old Testament prophecies that foretell where the Messiah would be born. Undeserving Bethlehem. Too small, too little to be among the clan's of Judah. So if you go back in the Old Testament, further back, when those clans are listed out and the people groups inside those clans, the cities inside of those clans, Bethlehem was so little and insignificant, it didn't even get a place in the scripture amongst the population. That's how small and insignificant it was. It kind of reminds me of the first little town I pastored. There's about 20 people and probably a thousand head of cattle. It's two full-time employees in town, myself and the postmaster. That was it. I drove the fire truck because I was the only one that was usually in town. It's exciting days, little Muldoon, Texas. Insignificant in so many ways, but relevant all the more. Little bitty Bethlehem, the Messiah would come from her. The preeminent would be born in the insignificant. 
the preeminent would bring forth the most undeserving of humanity, the sinner, and transform him or her in an instant with his grace and mercy. We go to verse 3, therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. They're going to be in this place until then. Verse 4, I want you to take notice of the glorious reign of our shepherd king. The glorious reign of our shepherd king, verse 4, he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God and they shall dwell secure for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. The glorious reign of our shepherd king. Notice here that he will stand. When he is beaten and on trial and crucified, but now he stands. He lives. He reigns. He is king over his people. There was no king for Israel at this point. There is no hope, but now when the king comes, when the Messiah comes, there is a king. To stand means that he is going to rule. That also can mean that he's going to, that he's going to reign and that that reign will endure. It will not end, which we know it's true from the rest of Scripture. To his reign, there will be no end. It will be an eternal reign as Messiah and King. This verse tells us that he is shepherd-like. There was a time in Jesus' ministry when he was approached by the sons of thunder. You remember those two guys, James and John. Not Ben and Max, but James and John. And they asked Jesus if, they would grant, if he would grant them a special privilege when he entered into his kingdom to sit at his right and his left. A place of privilege, a place of power, a place of great responsibility. To which Jesus would respond, he said, now listen, guys, you know, the, the leaders of the Gentiles lord it over them. They dominate their people. They're tyrants, they're dictators, they're brutal. And he continues on to say, their great ones exercise authority over them, but it will not be this way among you. For whoever would be first of you, among you shall be slave of all. And then he says this, for the Son of Man came to not be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Gentile lords, the kings dominated the heavy yoke of oppression on their people. But this king is different. The king that Micah is describing is a shepherd king, like David, but greater all the more. This king is superior in every way. He is wise. He is tender. He is compassionate. Yet he controls and wields the power and authority and justice of heaven. Yet his sheep know his voice. The angels sing his praise and glorify him and honor him. This king is the good shepherd, described by the first shepherd in King David of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He provides what I need. He leads me beside still waters. He gives me the water that never runs dry. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness, not for my sake, but for his name's sake, for his glory. His purpose is found in John chapter 10, verse 27, when he came to, to gather his people, his, his sheep. And you see there it, that he's leaving the one, he's leaving the 99 to go after the one. And, and John 10, 27, he says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. He came to feed them the bread of heaven. 
John 6, 35 says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He came to give them living water, as he told the, the lady at the, the Samaritan woman at the well. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This shepherd king came to bind up our wounds, just like Isaiah had prophesied that his wounds, by his wounds, we would be healed in our hearts and in our minds and in our souls before the living God. That he came to protect him, to protect us by laying down his own life. John 10, 15, he said, I lay down my life for the sheep. This is our shepherd king. The kings of Babylon and Assyria, the kings of today's world, the presidents that we have in this world, the congressmen, the senators, the governors, all of those before us, you will not find them laying down their life like your shepherd king did. His sheep are secure forever. No thief will come and steal them away nor snatch them out of his hands. He says in John 10, 28, I give them eternal life. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Friend, in these days that are hard and difficult, oftentimes perplexing, we don't understand everything that's happening, where our culture says up is down and down is up. Boys can be girls. Girls can be boys. You can marry whomever you want. You can be and do whatever you want without any consequences for your actions, where criminals aren't held accountable any longer. And some states don't even stand for life, but rather they take life, where all the truth that has been established from the beginning of time is questioned, doubted, maligned. My friend, hear me say this. Bank everything you've got on the good shepherd king. He is our king and he is coming again. And you must keep your trust in him. The next time he comes, there will be no other time for him to come. He will reign. He does reign now forever and ever. He reigns now in the church as Christ and head of the church. And he will come again for his bride and all of her warts. There's never been a king so powerful as the king that Micah is talking about here. His power lies not in his threatening speeches surrounded by lights and military prowess or his endless rhetoric and stinging tweets. His power lies not in the vote of his people. His power comes from on high, from the ancient of days. For he was there in the beginning and spoke, let there be light. There's never been a king who gave himself for his bride like this king. Never. Those who are his sheep are blessed. Their cup runneth over. He provides everything they need as he leads them to green pastures and still waters. And even when life gets difficult and he's leading the church through the valley of the shadow of death, he does so with his rod and his staff, protection and correction. We understand because you'll notice what Micah says. He shall stand. I've learned to respect referees in the last month. I'll never again yell at another one the way I used to. They are human. But what I find interesting in this is that I used to be, well, I probably will be again. I'll just confess because you know I'm not perfect. One of those sideline referees that's not in the game but calling the penalties from the sideline. Oh, he missed that one. Oh, he missed that one. Uh, our shepherd is not one of those. He's not sitting on the sideline Monday morning quarterbacking. He is standing in the game. He shall stand. He is taking an active role. 
He is active in the daily affairs of our life and of his church. This king is actively involved in the lives of his sheep. He stands. He feeds. He waters. He does not... He does not so do this on his own power, but in the strength of the Lord, in the strength of God, his Father. That's how he goes forth, and he is actively busy in the lives of his people. His eyes never rest. His hands are never idle. There are times when the church might be the fiery furnace like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to go through, but there he is right in the midst of them. For with the shepherd king, his sheep will dwell securely. The sheep will endure The sheep will abide in his presence. For now and forever, friends, bank everything on this good shepherd king. Notice in verse 5, the shepherd king is also our peace. He says it right at the beginning, and he shall be their peace. Up to this point, they, they don't know peace. For Israel, right in that moment, or for Judah specifically in this moment, they are under attack. The Assyrians are coming. The Babylonians are going to come eventually and take them out they don't know peace in their real present situation but what Micah is talking about is a, a bit of a different kind of peace it's not the absence of war but rather peace with God it's a pretty simple truth yet so profound he is our peace Isaiah would prophesy this about him and another scripture that's vitally important to who Jesus is for unto us a child is born remember that one To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Prince of Shalom. Many a false prophet has spoken of peace. Many false prophets speak of still having peace today. Whether it's a treaty or some kind of peace accord, it's not going to last. It's a piece of paper made between people who don't trust one another. But the peace that is offered in Jesus Christ is true and real. Sometimes people will believe that peace comes when the stock market rebounds or levels off. Interest rates go down. The president will just do this or that or if Congress will just do this or that. True peace is not brokered in a back room. True peace was purchased at the cross of Christ and secured between, them, between man and God. And what Micah is speaking here is to the fact that we are enemies of God in our sin. Yet the shepherd king came to deal decisively with our sin. Listen to what Paul says to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And he did so by canceling sin's debt. The debt that we carried in defeating the power of darkness. The snake crusher crushed the head of that serpent just like Genesis 3.15 said he would. Listen to what Paul writes to the church in Colossians. Chapter 2, verses 13 and following. And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by the canceling the record of debt. By canceling the record of debt. You hear that? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Now, wait a minute. You made a promise to pay that debt back to the Lord, didn't you? You didn't keep up your end of the bargain, did you? Somebody else had to pay it off. That's not fair. It's called grace and mercy. Grace and mercy. He has canceled the record of that debt that stood against us in its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. 
He has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. So in Micah, the victory over Assyria that's going to be prophesied about, it pictures our shepherd king's victory over the greater enemies of sin and death. God has shown his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. We rejoice, my friends, that our shepherd king still reigns to this day. And he will reign forever. He is the head of the church. And I want you to notice one last thing. And this line is missing from your notes. So get this down. One last thing. It's our response to him. Look at verse 4. Where is our part in this? It's in the middle of verse 4. And they shall dwell secure for now He shall be great to the ends of the earth. Friends, the sheep abide in him. The sheep remain in him. The sheep dwell secure in him. Judah and Israel, in this moment, they are not secure. They are under threat of attack from Assyria. Israel has already been there. They're going to be there soon again. Judah is going to be there. The Babylonians will ultimately come in and take them out. They are not secure where they live. Could you imagine? I cannot because I've never experienced living in a place where you are not secure. I don't know what that's like. I have no idea what that's like. But here we are. This is where they are. They don't know what security is. But in this good shepherd king, we will be secure. We are secure in his protection. There's also a sense here toward the end of this chapter that the Lord will use Israel in Judah's time in Israel, not only, uh, excuse me, in exile, as a time of purification. As we are fashioned in a way that we will abide in him forever and we will remain secure in him forever, there's also a time of purification and holiness that in his time the Lord is going to uh, 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 bring an end to that which threatens us even still today. But in that time, we need that purification in our lives that only the shepherd king can work in and through us because we have a grave tendency to rely on what's worse, trust in worldly powers, knowledge of the world, knowledge even of the occult on some levels, worship of false gods, giving ourselves to idols that are not true and that are self-created. We give our heart and our affection to those that are not God. We follow other ways, other philosophies, other theologies even at times. And we put our trust in those rather than trusting in God. But here's what happens when we follow Christ, that God is going to bring about that sanctification in and through Christ. This is his will that the church, his bride, be sanctified. Titus Paul writes to young Titus, Pastor Titus, who gave himself, he's speaking of Christ here, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. His blood on the cross purifies us, yet there is an, act, uh, an aspect of purification that goes on throughout the rest of our life, which is why we have to abide in him. That is where we dwell secure, where we remain in him. 
abiding and remaining in him, that is in Christ, we the church will produce much fruit. We take our eyes and and our heart off of Christ and we will not remain in him. Rather, we're going to get off on some tangent that really doesn't even matter in the grand scheme of the kingdom of God. And we'll drift. It's called mission drift, vision drift, and it happens. We get sucked into all kinds of side issues, life issues, and we stop and we forget to keep on trusting, keep on abiding. For Jesus himself said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Church, our number one goal is to bring glory to the Lord, glory to God. Through making disciples, through worship, through evangelism, through serving, through, through uh, taking the gospel on mission. We can't do that if we're not abiding in him and remaining in him. Why? Because he says, I am the vine. You are the branches. It's not the other way around. Sometimes we come to the Lord with our plans like we're the vine and he's the branch. That's the opposite. That's wrong. And if we don't abide in him, Jesus says, then he's thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is why prayer is going to be a focus of our church life next year. should be now, but even more so next year. We're going to abide in his presence because his father, he says, my father is glorified in that. The only way we'll be successful as a church and produce fruit for the glory of God is to keep in step with our shepherd king, to listen to his voice, let him correct us and protect us. We don't exist because of our structure or our governance Our policies, our deacons, our pastors, our staff, our confessions of faith, our creeds, our song selection, our buildings, our budgets. The reason we exist is because the shepherd king is in our midst and he has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the only reason. There's no other reason. As we continue into the future, it will be because our shepherd king. Friends, we are always facing the threat of trusting in our own strength. Always. Our strength of, again, budgets, programs, strategies, seeking wisdom and knowledge from extra-biblical sources like politicians, pundits, experts, or replacing the living God with idols such as leaders, buildings, traditions, policies. Friends, we have to rely and remain in Christ Jesus, our glorious shepherd king. In Christ alone we stand and we can do no other, absolutely no other. This is our great, he is our great and glorious shepherd king. And I pray that we will live in the reality of this truth, that our hope is found only in the identity we have in Christ and Christ alone, our glorious shepherd king. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word that out of the insignificant came the most preeminent of all time. The glorious Jesus Messiah, that he died on the cross to redeem a people, to pay for our sin, to call us out of darkness into a marvelous, glorious light, and that now in this life he continues to build his church with living stones. With him being the chief cornerstone.